I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I just wanted to encourage you all to watch some of my IG Live videos on Instagram. On Instagram, my accounts are at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. But in case I haven't told you, which it occurred to me that maybe I haven't, on Instagram every day at 11 o'clock Eastern time, I interview authors live from my at Zibby Owens account. And to watch it, you just have to open up Instagram. And if you're following me when I'm live, it'll show up on the upper left of your screen in the story section and it'll say live and there'll be a little red circle. So every day, Monday to Friday, I do an IG live show check it out. I do one to four authors a week. Sometimes the shows become these podcasts. And I also do one on Sundays at two with my husband, Kyle. um, And we talk about step parenting and life and all the rest. So if you haven't watched an IG Live, please do. And also I have a virtual book club that I hope you know about. This is all on my website, by the way, zibbyowens.com. But check out my virtual book club, which is through a site called Book Clubs, with a Z, B-O-O-K-C-L-U-B-Z.com. And no, I didn't make that up after my name, but actually it just worked out perfectly. So go to bookclubs.com, and I'm actually the featured book club on their homepage. So you can just click, and you're invited to sign up. Um, I have amazing guests every week, and that meets Tuesdays at 2 p.m., Uh, Eastern Time via Zoom. So please don't miss out on all these other offerings for all of you guys who are loyal listeners to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And always feel free to check out my website at zibbyowens.com to find out what I'm up to and what else you can do. Oh, and also sign up for my newsletter. On In my newsletter every week, I give updates on the latest, the book recommendations, all my podcasts, all my IG lives, my book club, and any other fun information, um, plus usually some list or article or something that I think would be helpful. So um, also sign up for my mailing list if you get a chance. Okay, that's enough for me. Now go listen to this episode. Today's sponsor is Blue Land Cleaning. Blue Land is an eco-friendly cleaning products company on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic packaging. They offer their products as a set of reusable bottles, along with cleaning tablets that you simply add to warm water to make a full bottle of hand soap or cleaning solution. Also founded by a mom with a three-year-old son. My kids loved making all these products with me. And now we have these amazing glass bottles and all different color hues uh, that make cleaning a little bit more fun, especially during quarantine. I had the best time talking to Leslie Gray Streeter, who is an award-winning columnist and pop culture critic for the Palm Beach Post, where she has worked since October of 2002. She's a graduate of the College of Journalism and the University of Maryland College Park. And she wrote a beautiful, happy, sad look at being a widow called Black Widow, a sad, funny journey through grief for people who normally avoid books with words like journey in the title. (laughs) If that sounds funny, you can get a glimpse of what she's like. I had so much fun talking to her and also doing an Instagram live, which if you would like to watch, you can go to IGTV at Zibby Owens and check out what it was like for us to chat in person. I'm so sorry. I knew you were like sitting there waiting. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to put this up on this thing so I don't have to hold it. Who is on your mug? These are people who used to be on All My Children. This was from when All My Children was first canceled by ABC. And they did these live traveling things. So these were dudes that like were on All My Children. My husband bought me this mug because we both watched All My Children. And he's the kind of dork that would drive me and my best friend to the casino to see them. And he didn't actually get to go in because I only had two tickets. But he hung around and bought me a mug. So there you go. That's amazing. He, my husband actually just told me that there's a new memoir out by someone from General Hospital who, and he's like, this guy on your podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
<laughs> and by the way, I feel like you don't have to tell me what kind of guy your husband was because having read your book, I feel like I know a lot about him and that doesn't even surprise me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, your book was so great. Thank you for writing it and sharing it. And do you have a copy you could hold up or? Yes, I do. Because I, of course, left mine in the, in the room next door. Okay. Great cover. Great title, by the way. Thank so you. funny. I mean, the whole package. Well, what's so funny is because I, when I, I was, I'll say the, usually when people say, what's your book called? So they, it's about grief and they go, Ugh. and I'll go, it's called Black Widow. And they laugh because they're like, is it inappropriate to laugh at them? I'm like, no. And I go, because it's true, Black and Widow. And they go, oh, okay. And then they kind of know what the book is that it's a serious book about, a funny book about a serious thing. And it goes back and forth because I think that's what life does. I was describing it. Who was I describing to? And I, I was, I started to say funny, but then I was like, no, I feel bad saying that it's funny because it's about grief. And I was like, should I not call it funny? Like, is that inappropriate? But in fact, it was funny. You have a great sense of humor and you saw the humor in these really not humorous situations. So, (laughs) and I, I, I am sure a million people have said this to you, but I am so sorry for your loss. I mean, and the suddenness with which it came and all the rest of it. And, Anyway, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And I just, I obviously doing this book and being sort of like in a widow place all the time, not, I'm at the point five, it's been almost five years, it'll be five years in July, where I feel like I'm on the helping side of it, which is a great place to be because you don't feel so desperate and awful all the time. And so I've been doing a lot of um, Zoom stuff with, you know, widows groups and uh, with mourners and that kind of thing. And you would be surprised how much people laugh in those groups. Sometimes you have, when something crappy happens to you, sometimes there's nothing else to do. Sometimes in a gallows depressing way, but it's always good to, to have that. And I think that in this time where we are right now, where we are grieving, you know, even though we're grieving people who have have been lost and also grieving sort of like the life we knew a month and a half ago, and we're grieving our vacations and our ability to go sit at a bar and flirt with cute people. Oh, that's just me. (laughs) you know so I I think that that's sort of the space where we're in I'm like I can talk about that that I don't know a lot about math or driving I'm really bad at it but I know a lot about grief and about being funny so I figured I might as well write about that because I don't have anything else I mean if there was a way I'm, I'm impressed you could even find a negative to negative way to spin this enterprise seriously that was I mean come on but yet self-deprecating all the way. <laughs> what can you tell for people who don't know what your book is about? Can you explain the the, yeah, the, the book is about the first year. It's a memoir about the first year of my widowhood in 2015 when my husband Scott died. And very suddenly, as you mentioned, I have a heart attack. And it goes literally from the moment that I'm supposed to be at a happy hour, but I'm trying to buy a grave site and not really knowing what's happening to the next year, which is almost a year to the day because God's timing is funny, where our son's adoption was finalized. So I guess so late July won't suck all the time for me. There's good and bad stuff. And that's what the book is. And it's flashback to our love story and how we got together and that kind of thing. And it's sort of like, I break the fourth wall occasionally. I talk about, you know, God and sex and drinking, which are the really cool fundamental parts of of life, I think. And, you know, try not to get fat as a widow and then being okay with being it and just friendship and family. My mom moved in with me as my co-parent. So that's a sitcom right there. (laughs) Uh, It just, 
I feel like if that hadn't happened to me, I would hopefully have been clever enough to write this kind of thing. But I don't think I could ever could have imagined that all this stuff would be packed into one year. And that's just one year. It's been five since he died. That was a real eventful year. And you told it in such detail. Like, I feel like I was there. Like when you were debating like what you called the crypt of how to bury your husband. I mean, instead of it being like you're sitting there crying, you have it be like you just find the the, the craziness in all of it, which is the relatable moments, really. That's, you know, it's... I, I think that's... I was talking to someone the other day about it because people don't really think about... Well, they don't want to think about grief, but when you look back at funerals you've been to, memorial services or whatever, if you thought about it, there's something happened, like somebody showed up in an inappropriate dress or like somebody's ex-wife they didn't think was going to come showed up and there's a whisper, 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 or someone brought the wrong thing to the shiva, whatever it is. And there's stuff that makes you go, mm-hmm. And not only does it make it tolerable, it's the stuff that makes it human, that makes you remember that you're still breathing and that you can get through this. And that's how I've always written. And I think that I didn't really have any choice but to process this experience that way and to focus on what's not like in a desperate, like slipping on banana peel funny sort of a way. It was more of a, these are the things that I noticed and I wrote them down on my phone or I, you know, went and jotted things down in a never-ending file in Word, you know, stuff that, or I just remembered it. And I, as a columnist, I remember things in detail that way. Fortunately, I'm sure there's stuff, there's stuff that I forgot, like I have a friend of mine who reminded me, she goes, why wasn't this in your book? And I forgot that my first birthday after Scott died, my friends gave me a cake that said, well, at least you're pretty, at least you're still pretty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just so funny. And it's it's rude in a really funny way, but that people that love you know how to talk to you and what to say and what's going to make you go, ah And so that's that's what my life is, and that's the people I surround myself with, and that's what I wrote about. And do you still write for the Palm Beach Post? I should. Have- I write for the Palm Beach Post. Right now I'm writing from home, as, as everyone is. I just wrote about our big music festival every year that's been canceled because everything is canceled. So that was what I did this morning. You were mentioning before in your previous interview about sort of like everything that you do that we used to do that we left the house and now we're doing it all in the house. And are we going to actually get to the point where we need to do a lot of that stuff? And like, are we, am I want to go, am I going to want to go and stand at a music festival next to a bunch of drunk people, you know, or am I want to going to want to go just interview random people this close to their face Again, no, I don't know when that's going to happen again. So right now, I think we're getting a lot of what we need to do at home. And I'm not working any less hard. I'm just working differently. And I kind of like it, honestly. I know. Sometimes I wonder if this whole thing had happened at a much more social time in my life. Like when I think about younger people or like when I was in college or I really depended on my social scene versus like being at home with my kids. And I had already gotten to a place where... I would be happy not to ever leave the house after eight o'clock at night again. (laughs) Absolutely. It was so weird. I was talking to, I was on a widow's group thing yesterday and there was a gentleman who lives in Manhattan who is older. He lost his wife a couple months ago. And he said, I got to be honest. He said, and this guy's a physician. He goes, my physician brain is very attuned to what's happening with COVID, but my widower brain doesn't care because I don't want to talk to anybody anyway. I don't want to leave the house. I don't want to like, have to deal with people stammering about how they're sorry and 
trying to feel weird about it. I just kind of want to, I want it to be in this cocoon and I'm sorry, obviously this is happening, but if it was going to happen, it's a good time for this to happen with every other bad thing that's happening in my life. I, you know, on the other hand, released a book into a pandemic. So that was fun. (laughs) And I, you know, I had all these things to do. I had all this, I was supposed to be in New Orleans last weekend. I'm supposed to be in two weeks reading at the Edgar Allan Poe house in Baltimore None of these things are happening. I was supposed to be at BookCon, which is now going to be online. So I had all this really great stuff happening, and it's not. But I can't really do anything about it, and it's not personal. I think that's something that when grief happens, I would have these melodramatic moments where I would be like, God, why did you do this to me and forsake me? Thunderclap, thunderclap. And stuff just happens to people. I don't think it, it wasn't personal. He wasn't, didn't like set out to ruin my life or anything. It's just what happened. And I think that we're all kind of going through that right now, that what's happening is what's happening. And we kind of have to figure out how to, to, to best deal with it and not be so, being melodramatic is fun though. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another element of your book that I found really interesting was how you wrote about the fact that you had been married to a white Jewish man as yeah. a black Baptist woman. Right. And that came up a lot in so many different scenarios in the book and how in some ways there were a lot of commonalities. And then in other, there were these horrible moments where, you know, people at restaurants refused to believe you were like on the same check and like, you know, so that was, I loved how open you were because I hadn't really read anything that specifically open about interracial marriage. What's so interesting to me is that I wanted to make the book about being a widow from my perspective. It wasn't a book like just about like in a very 80s movie of the week way interracial relationships where everything in the movie is about conflict or the differences or whatever. It's just the way my life is. So we had a lot in common, like all my children, and we had things that were not in common, like our races or our religion. And those just kind of go into our story, not in like a, you know, neon sign way, but that's just part of my life. And I think that there were people who read it who were like, well, does it have to be so much about race? I'm like, yeah, because that's part of what it was. It's not about race, but it is in a way because that's part of our existence. And also it's a, a way that people responded to us when we walked into a room together or did not respond because they didn't think that we were together because they're dumb. And it was 2015. It's like, uh, so some people don't, don't think about that, but I, wanted to present there's no like the book about these things i mean literally timby Locke, you know who wrote from scratch mm-hmm. also was married to a white man who also died and wrote a book about that experience and it's about being a widow who was black but it's a completely different book so there's no like one experience way to do it and i, I love that both of these books exist in the same place because Everyone else's gets to, too, you know. Joan Didion gets to ex- to exist in the same place as Sheryl Steinberg, you know. Everyone gets to do that and have their stories told and not be thought of as this is, the, this is definitive only of this, you know, experience. So I'm glad that I was able to do it and I'm glad that people got it and that people didn't say, well, this is about a Black person cause I, so I can't read it. Because I, I love the hell out of your magical thinking, which had nothing to do. I mean, I read it before I was even widowed. So it had nothing to do with my experience at the moment. It was just a really beautifully well-written book. And I, I hope that, I mean, my book is super like on the other side of elegant because that was an elegantly written book. My book is like cussing and drinking and, you know, making out with people. So it's not the same book, but it's a similar experience. And I hope that there's room for all of it. 
for sure. And I obviously have not read from scratch as you, and I'm sorry, because I have heard of it, obviously, because it's a book club and I, but I don't know, I didn't want to read that and I wanted to read this. So I don't know, make of that what you will. Thank you. Exactly. Well, and it, it is really a beautiful book. And she wrote a blurb for the back of my book. And it's so funny because when that happens, every time you get one, you're like, for real? Because you ask all these people, you send it out into the universe. And there were some people that I knew, like I know Laura Whitman a little bit. And I, I know James Patterson, which is a whole other thing. And I know um, Rob Sheffield. But Tim B was a friend of a friend at, who had told her that, oh, I know someone who's written this book. And so when I reached out to her, and she was literally the last person. And it was past the deadline. She goes, is it okay? And I'm like, boarding it as it's happened. I'm like, yes, it's going to be okay. Because I really needed that validation from another widowed person. So it was cool. Yeah, it's a great book. It's not funny. But it's it's beautiful. It's like your magical thinking and a travelogue with Eat, Pray, Love and Under the Tuscan Sun, but with Black people. Okay, I will put it on the list. <laughs> I will put it back on the list. I'm sorry. I know. I have. There's so many great books. <laughs> One of your podcasts is about moms having time to read books. So you have not to apologize for not being able to cram everything in the world in. <laughs> permission. I do all the time. I go, I want to do that. And I do. Okay. Yeah. Have you read, by the way, Nora McInerney's books about being a widow? Yes. And she's also on my, on back my book. I know. Oh, great. Okay. Um, No, she's, I'm so glad that I read her book after I wrote mine because I would have thought, oh no, am I stealing from her? Because she has a very, she has a similar irreverent sort of a, like, I'm a total mess and I don't know how the heck I'm doing this, but I'm out here and I have to keep children alive and stuff. So I have to do it. (laughs) And we have different approaches to that, but it's it's very much her books are her book both Hot Young Widows Club and No Happy Endings, which is hilarious. The follow up, it's hilarious and sad and brutal, and she's super hard on herself, but in a really funny, real way, like your friend would be. She, I cannot say enough good things about about her. Wow, me too. She's hilarious, and also with the grief and the the funny and anyway. But now I feel bad we're doing like a roundup of all these other grief books. We should be talking about your book. <laughs> how long did it take you to write your book, by the way? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it just, there's how long it took to write it when I thought I was done. And then when my editor thought I was done. So that's all the process. I think I started writing like the first chapter about being in the, in the graveyard. I wrote like a month or two after Scott died. I just, to get it off my chest, literally, because it felt like it was on my chest. And then, so that was 15. I think I finished a first version probably in 18, so two and a half years. And that's when we sold it. And then I sent it in and they were like, oh, edits, edits. So it was like done, done sometime last year. But I thought it was done sometime in in like 2017 slash 2018. So it took about a year and a half, two years to complete it. And as James Patterson said to me once, everyone doesn't need to know everything that you know, and everyone doesn't care about everything you write. And I was like, ooh, brutal, but true. So it's like the kill your darlings thing. So when something like this happens, and I know that you, you interview memoirists, like your previous guest, it's so hard when everything seems super important to you, because that's why you wrote about it. And then someone else comes back and says, do we need this part? And there were one or, you know, there were one or two things where I was like, Yes, we have to have that. Like there's a, I can curse on the show, right? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there's a line in the first couple of pages where I said my life was, it was a great sparkly clusterfuck. And editors kept taking that out. 
Mm. And I would write it back in. <laughs> it was because and that's like because it was a. I thought it was funny. I'm easily amused, and to me, that's what it is. Because like when you're in that thing where something bad has happened, and it's like super, super capital B bad, but it's so spectacularly rotten and awful that it seems special somehow. That like it didn't just blow up a little; it blew up a lot. And you're like damn, that was really impressive how much my life just blew up right then. And that's what it felt like. So I fought for that. There were some things like there were some chapters where I was like, I could tell it was wrong. I'm super angry about stuff like the scene when we're in the hospital and people in the hospital were not nice to me. And I wrote a lot of really pointed things that honestly should have been kept in a journal somewhere. And because they came off as angry and, and it's angry enough. You know, and it's and I, I am glad that it was edited and I went back and we wrote some things that were more on the the bewildered tip rather than just the I hate this person so much right now. It wasn't necessary. Editors are really good because otherwise it would have been 500 pages and nobody wants that. I thought the way you handled that scene, though, in the hospital when you were like kind of losing it at somebody and then giving yourself permission to lose it at this person. I, I thought it was interesting how you did that. I mean, because you didn't just lose it and let it go. You you had like commentary, you checked with your friend and it was like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, what's so funny is, you know, as, as women, we do that all the time. Like we'll say something to a waiter and immediately the waiter leaves. We'll go, was I too, was I too hard on that person? Was I too, whatever. And that's in a normal situation, like bartenders and waiters and like the woman who's taking too long to check you into your flight, you know, was that hard on her? But at this moment, I just felt like I used the word untethered that I could feel all of it rising out of the ground the spike was gone and the hot balloon was hot air balloon was gone you know and I knew that I should probably care and then I decided I didn't care because that was her job and I, I don't ever want to make anyone feel bad about themselves but I think if you get to focus on how you feel the moment where you're being told your husband is dead is probably that moment and that no one else expects to feel catered to it's like but how do you feel person with the bad news yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the most impressive parts of the book to me was that your husband got up in the middle of the night to check on your son and came back in and started hooking up with you. And you did. <laughs> I'm like, that's impressive to me. I don't know. It's like three in the morning, whatever. Anyway, more power to you. I'm glad you seized the moment. Can you imagine how awful I would feel to this day if I hadn't, you know, if I'd, if I'd gone because I always say this, it's like when people die and you go, oh, my God, if I had just called her back when she called me, we would have made up or it was weird last time when we left and I didn't do that, that literally there was no doubt how we felt about each other at that moment because we were we were making out. And that was really and his cousins think it's hilarious. There's something that didn't make the book. There used to be the show on A&E, I think, called Sex Sent Me to the ER. And his cousin, whose birthday it was, his cousin Kenny, who did the Jefferson sing-along at the funeral, Kenny drives up from Fort Lauderdale and says to Scott's body, dude, if you had just survived this, you could have been on that show. <laughs> All cracked up and the mean staff, I'm sure, was in the corner going, that's right, they're evil. But it was that moment, it just, it broke up the things. It was the most horrible moment. But it was a really funny thing to say. And he wasn't, I don't know if he was trying to be funny or we're just on his head or he was in shock and grief as well. And Scott, he said, I'm always going to blame him for dying and for ruining my birthday by dying on it. Like, oh gosh, <laughs> what are you going to do? So what's coming next for you? Do you want to write more books? Do you want to, you're obviously still a journalist. 
I do. I want to do a lot of things, all of them involving writing, because I don't know how to do anything else. I really, there, I, every once in a while I would go, like I auditioned for The Voice a couple times, did not happen. It's like, I'll do something new because journalism. And then now this is all I know how to do is to write things on paper. So I'm working on a book right now in the very early stages of fiction, actually. It's a rom-com. And of course it has elements of like, you know, middle-aged black people in love and there's widowhood and there's all that kind of stuff too. But it's based on a screenplay I wrote by longhand in a notebook 20 something years ago. I never did anything with And this is just those characters old and no one knows who they are because I never did anything with it, but it seems real personal to me. And it's like, I have this sitting here. I might as well do something with it. I'm recycling. (laughs) Perfect. Love it. That's great. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? I do. First is just to write. When people say like they're aspiring writers, like if you write, you're a writer. I think most people, what they mean is I want to get, want to is I aspire to be paid for writing. I aspire to be admired for my writing. And all you have to do is just start writing. I mean, there's never been a better time, particularly right now, because people are home and looking for things to read. Two, even though blogging isn't as big as it used to be, have a blog to do something really cool on your Instagram, to write poetry, to get stuff out there. I think people are looking for connection, real solid human connection. And if you've got something in your heart that you need to write that will connect to people, I think this is a perfect time to, to do it, to follow writers online. Don't ask them for anything yet, but just to follow them and see what they do, to read everything, what you were saying in their previous interview, which just about like reading. And I have to piggyback on what she was saying that this is such an amazing, I always love the title of, of your podcast and of this Instagram because it's just, it speaks to such a, a specific experience and need that moms and everyone have, even when you're busy to do stuff. So I think people like you who love books and who love words and who want to keep people reading and writing are so important. I think it's encouraging to aspiring writers that these platforms exist. So thank you. Thank you for, for being to do that. I mean, I mean it. It's true. Thank you. Well, I love it. And I mean, I guess to talk to great women like you who I might not have gotten to talk to and Nina. So yeah, it was a great day. Thank you so much for coming on and thanks for sharing your innermost life in your book (laughs) so that people like me could sit in my bed at night and enjoy it. And honestly, I mean, it's a gift. It's really a gift. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And if one person is moved by it, then it was worth it to to write it and to, to go through the, oh my God, I'm writing this, to do it. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Blue Land Cleaning, our sponsor for today's episode. Blue Land Cleaning, get your single-use plastic packaging. Make that a thing of the past with this eco-friendly cleaning products company. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 